First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. If you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, do you turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. In these weeks leading up to Christmas, uh, we are talking about how when Jesus was born, God came near to us. And you know, with everything that is going on in our world, we all need to, to know that. We all need to keep that in mind uh, this Christmas and always. That because God came near, he is with us. Last week, we kicked off this teaching series by looking at a story in the Old Testament of a man named Jacob who had a famous dream about a ladder and angels who were going up and down on that ladder. The Lord spoke to him in that dream and gave him uh, incredible promises. And he woke up the next day and uh, he exclaimed, surely the Lord is in this place. Uh, And I did not know it. I pray we would know that in our lives this Christmas. The Lord is in this place. The Lord is with us in our lives. Today we're jumping forward to the New Testament. And we're going to read some of the most uh, really incredible words that have ever been written about Jesus. And uh, though uh, you may not think it at first blush, this passage in John chapter 1 really is a Christmas passage. It is about what happened, what really happened that night in Bethlehem when Jesus was born. The whole beginning of John's gospel, which is called the prologue, uh, is an incredible passage of scripture. But today, uh, we're going to start out by just reading a few verses in verses 14 through 18. And so let's read that together. John 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared him. Let's pray together. Well, Father, we do thank you today for this um, incredible passage in your word. We pray today that you would speak to us through it uh, by your Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, today we also are mindful of those uh, in Kentucky and many other states as well uh, who even this weekend uh, have had uh, severe uh, storms, tornadoes that have come through and Father, families that have lost loved ones uh, right here at the Christmas season. And we we just pray, Father, today for them, uh, that you would be with them, uh, be their comfort, be their strength. We pray for your church and all of these cities and towns that your church would rise up and uh, be the hands and the feet of Christ for these. And so we lift them up to you today, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we uh, jump in here today and, and begin to walk through this, uh, this passage, um, I don't know how many 
Uh, how many Buccaneer fans, how many Tampa Bay Bucks fans that we have here? I see, I see a few hands, and you guys are riding high. I mean, just Super Bowl champions, defending champions, uh, looking pretty good this year as well. You know, you got Tom Brady as your quarterback, and uh, he was able to, to get it done. And I, I don't know how many of y'all remember the story. This was shortly after uh, Tom Brady had uh, signed with Tampa Bay. He had just moved to the Tampa Bay area. And he was trying to visit one of his coaches, his offensive coordinator, a guy named Byron Leftwich. And so he got in his car, he left his house, he, he drove, he, he parked it in the driveway, he walked up to the door, he didn't even knock on the door, he just opened the door, he went into the house, he dropped his, his duffel bag down on the floor, and then he looked and, and saw a man sitting on the couch. The only problem is the man that he saw sitting on the couch was not his coach. It was a random guy because he had gone to the wrong house. Uh, he had gone right into the house of the neighbor of his coach, Byron Leftwich, and the man that was sitting on the couch was a guy named David Kramer. And uh, boy, David did not expect to have a day like that. And um, he, uh, he, when he was telling the story, he said as soon as Brady realized it, he, he said, oh, I'm so sorry. So he picked up his duffel bag. He got out of the house as quickly as he could, almost like a quarterback trying to evade a defensive end. And, uh, you know, but I'm sure for, for David Kramer, uh, he probably didn't mind it so much. I right? just gave him a really good story to tell every single person that he ever met after that. But, but, but just imagine how strange that would have been, right? To, to have been uh, David Kramer, to just be sitting there on your couch when, when the GOAT, right? The greatest quarterback of all time, Tom Brady, walks into your house, drops his bags on your floor, and is standing there in your living room. I mean, that's just something that just never happens to anybody, Right? Except for, here's the thing, something like that has happened to all of us. So, someone did come right up into our neighborhood, right up into our house, right up into our living room, and it wasn't the, the goat of quarterbacks that did right, that, right? It was, it was God himself. And think about that. As strange as it was for David Kramer to see the goat in his house, how much stranger is what happened that first Christmas. To have God himself become flesh and blood and move in to our neighborhood and walk our streets and live in our world. The title of the message today comes from the way the paraphrase called the message paraphrases verse 14 of our text. It says this, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That's what we're talking about today, that God has moved into our neighborhood starting that first Christmas night. Before we get to that, though, before we talk about what that means for us, that God moved into our neighborhood, you know, when, when John uses the word word there in verse 14, the word became flesh, that's not the first time in this passage that he has used that word. Uh, you see that word in the very opening verses of this book, the very beginning of the chapter. And so look at that with me, if you would. Let's start there in John 1, verse 1. We read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not 
comprehend it. There's so much packed into those opening uh, verses. So before we come back to verses 14 through 18 and we talk about what it means for us that the word has come near, I want to just begin today just very quickly with, with five foundational truths about who this word is who came near to us at Christmas time. Here's the first foundational truth that comes from the very first phrase of John 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the word. The word is eternal. The word is eternal. Now, now that, that word that is translated word in our English version is the Greek word logos. Now, by no means was the Apostle John the first person to use that Greek word logos. That word had been used for centuries by uh, the Greeks, by their philosophers, to speak about uh, the the principle uh, behind the order that is in the universe. Uh, Of course, that word word shows up, uh, the Hebrew form of that shows up in the Old Testament. We read very often the Old Testament scriptures about the word of the Lord. We read that it was by the word of the Lord that the heavens were created. And so when John chooses this word logos, he's choosing a word uh, that is, of course, perfectly inspired by the Holy Spirit to speak to both his Jewish readers and to speak to his Greek readers. Uh, They would have all been familiar with that term. And yet, of course, we know John is going to to talk about this in such a way uh, that is going to be very different from what they might expect. He's going to say that this logos, this word, is not just a principle, but he is a person. And he's a person who has been born for us. That that is where he's going with all of this. But again, in verse 1, he starts out by saying, in the beginning was the word. Now, what other book in the Bible do you know of that starts with those three words, in the beginning? Right? What, what book? Genesis. Right? The very first book in the whole Bible starts with those three words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, and you know, when you think about how the Bible begins, I don't know if you've ever noticed this or thought about this before, the Bible does not begin with a defense of the existence of God. Right? The Bible doesn't start with a backstory of where God came from. It just assumes that God is because God always was. Right? In the beginning, God. And we could talk about that for a very long time, but that's not the main point of the message today. But what I don't want you to miss is this. When we fast forward to John's gospel and we read the very first words of this gospel, in the beginning was the word, it should be pretty obvious to us that John is saying the same thing about Jesus Christ that the Bible says about God in general in Genesis chapter 1. That there never was a time when Jesus did not exist in the beginning, the word was there, that he always was. Of course, this is a central part of what the Bible teaches about the Trinity. We serve one God who has eternally existed in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then 2,000 years ago, one of those persons, the eternal son of the father, took on flesh and was born in Bethlehem. But John wants us to know that's not where Jesus' story began. In fact, his story has no beginning because he always was. In the early church, there was a heretic named Arian who denied this truth 
of the Bible. And he taught, which by the way, the Jehovah's Witnesses today teach the very same thing, that Jesus is not eternal, but that he had a beginning, that he was created by the Father. And in response to that false heretical teaching, the, the great church father Athanasius famously said this, and I love the way that he puts it, there never was when he was not. Right? There never was when he was not. Well, that's what John is saying to us right here in John chapter 1. And I don't know about you, but when I think about this truth, it, it really makes my head just hurt a lot. But when you stop and think about that first Christmas night in Bethlehem, when Mary is holding this baby in her arms that was just born moments ago, and yet the baby that she is holding in her arms pre-existed her. She had a beginning, but the baby that she was holding had no beginning. He always was. <laughs> this is the wonder. This is the glory of what happened at Christmas. The word is eternal. Here's the second foundational truth. Comes in the very next phrase of verse one. In the beginning, the word was with God. The word is personal. John is saying that the word who is God the Son was with God, meaning with God the Father in eternity past. And so if you were to ask the question, where was Jesus? Where was the Son before the world began? The answer would be the same place that he is right now, with God the Father. And I love the fact that that word that's translated with in our English text can also be translated towards the idea is that the son is inclined towards the father and the father is inclined towards the son. They have always had intimate fellowship with one another along with the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Again, we could talk a lot longer about this, but the, the idea we need to take into our hearts today is that the triune God that we worship is intensely personal and relational. Later in John chapter 17, Jesus was praying. This was the night before he went to the cross. He was praying his high priestly prayer. And he said, you, Father, have loved me before the foundation of the world. Think about that. Before we were ever here, before this world was ever here, the Son and the Father loved one another. The word is eternal. The word is relational. Foundational truth number three, the word is divine. In the beginning, the word was God. Now, this is a very basic fundamental truth, of course, but it is so vitally important that we understand that the one who was born for us in Bethlehem was both fully man and he was also fully God. And it says so right here in John chapter 1. The word was God. I know that there are some people, and perhaps you've even encountered some folks who will, will say to you, you know, it doesn't really say anywhere in the Bible uh, that Jesus was God. That's something that the church has made up. That's something that uh, people just say today, but it's not really in the Bible. Well, with, with respect, I, I would just say to you that people who say that have not really read the Bible. Because all over the Bible, it clearly says that Jesus is fully God. It says so right here. I, 
Uh, of course, some of the folks who are saying that to you uh, may be uh, reading from a version of the Bible, again, such as the Jehovah's Witnesses who read from a version of the Bible that violates every known law of Greek grammar that there is to translate a version of the Bible where they have systematically gone through and tried to make the Bible not say what the Bible clearly says, which is that Jesus is fully God. Even in John's gospel alone, there's so many instances. In John chapter 8, for example, you remember that time when Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees and he said to them, before Abraham was, I am. Now, where have you heard that before? At the burning bush, right? When, when, when Moses said, what is your name? God said to him, tell them, I am. That I am has sent you to them. And here you have Jesus Christ saying before Abraham was, I am. And by the way, the Pharisees didn't miss that. They knew exactly what he was saying, which is why they picked up stones to try to kill him as being a blasphemer. And then in John chapter 14, Thomas said, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus said, have you been with me so long and you don't realize? If you've seen me, you have already seen the Father. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word is eternal, personal, divine. And then in verse 3, we find the fourth foundational truth. In the beginning, God created the world through the word. The word is the creator. Look with me at verse three. It says, all things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that was made. All things made through him. It's depicting Jesus as the instrument or the agent of creation that God the Father created all things through the Son and by the Holy Spirit. And it's not just John 1 that teaches this. Hebrews 1 says the same thing, that through him God created all the worlds. In Colossians chapter 1, we read these words. Listen to this. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You know, when John says here that through Jesus, all things were created, he means all things were created. He means things that are, that are large and things that are small. You think about the universe that God has made. All of the galaxies that he has made. All, all of the stars. You know, the latest estimate that I heard was 10 quintillion stars. And all that vast expanse of space was created through the Son, through the Lord Jesus. But not just the big things, not just the vastness of space, but even the very smallest things, even the, the atoms that make up all of matter, even down to the subatomic particles of the neutrinos and all of that that makes up the atom, that it was through Jesus, through the Word, that God spoke creation into existence. Wow, this is the word that John is talking about. And we need to know that. So when we, when, when we come later in this passage, we need to understand this is who he's talking about. The word that he's talking about is the creator of all. The word he's talking about is eternal. 
The word he's talking about was always with the Father. He is fully divine. He's the eternal word of the Father. We need to know all of that. And then we come down to verse 14. And then John makes this stunning statement to his readers when he says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's foundational truth number five. In Bethlehem, the eternal word became flesh. The word became man. What John says in verse 14 is really the climax, isn't it? Of this whole passage, this amazing prologue. Because in one sense, the the Greek philosophers who maybe picked up a copy of of John in the gift shop and they started reading it, they they could hang with him for the first couple verses. They could say, yeah, we believe in the law, God. Absolutely, we we believe in everything you're saying, John. But when he gets down to verse 14 and he says, this word became flesh. He's been born. We have seen him. Like he says in 1 John 1, he says, we've seen him. We've heard him. Our hands have handled him. He's walked among us. He's lived. Now that, that, that just blew their concept of the Logos totally out of the water. But again, this is the majesty and the glory of Christmas. Jesus didn't stand apart from creation and just create everything. No, he's been here. He's walked our streets. He's lived among us. When I said that this is a Christmas passage... It's because when did that happen? When did the word become flesh and dwelt among us? It happened at Bethlehem. That's when this took place. And so at the time that we have left, as we look at verses 14 through 18, we think about the wonder and the glory of Christmas. I want us to think about what that means for us. What does it mean for us right now, this Christmas, 2021, in our lives, that the word became flesh? Here's three takeaways that I want us to to grasp and hold on to this morning. First of all, because the word became flesh that first Christmas, we can experience God's presence in our lives. That's what John is saying in verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt that he uses there is a word that can be translated as a tent or as a tabernacle. Maybe you remember in the Old Testament, right? God told Moses, I want you to build a tent. I want it to house the Ark of the Covenant. And when the people of God wanted to meet with God, where did they have to go, right? They had to go to the tent. Well, now we come to John chapter 1 and we find out there's another tent, but it's not the same kind of tent. It's a person, When he came and dwelt among us, it was as though God was pitching his tent in our backyard. You know, thinking again about that story that I shared at the beginning about David Kramer who had Tom Brady walk into his house. You know, I don't know this for a fact, but I assume that if he's just kind of like a typical American guy who hasn't been living in a cave, that he knew who Tom Brady was and that he had probably seen him on TV had probably thought he is an awesome, amazing quarterback, but probably also thought, I am never going to meet him in my entire life, right? So he probably thought he's awesome, but he is totally inaccessible to me. You know, people thought the same thing about God. 
They thought God is, is awesome. He is high and lifted up. He is holy, holy, holy. But he is entirely inaccessible to a sinner like me. Until he walked into our living room. Until he pitched his tent in our backyard. And that's what Christmas is about. God came near. He has dwelt among us. And you know what Christmas proves? This is what Christmas proves. God is both awesome and accessible. He's accessible to sinners like us because not only did Jesus come, but you know the rest of the story. He also died. And he went to that cross and he paid for my sins and he paid for your sins and he rose again on the third day. And because he did, he has made a way for sinners like us to have access to God. That our sins can be washed and we can come into the presence of God and have a relationship with him and know him. And friend, if, if you haven't yet trusted Christ as your savior, I pray that you would this Christmas season that you would experience for the first time in your life the presence of the living God who made you and who sent his son to die for you in your life. I know there are many of you, as I look across this room, you've already trusted in Christ. You, you would say, Pastor, I, I've done that. He is my savior. I have experienced him in my life. My prayer for you is that this Christmas, you would press in to that relationship that you have with Christ and experience even more of him than you have in the past. He has more that he wants to show us. I know that Christmas can be very hard for a lot of people. I know there are some of you that, that this Christmas is going to be the first Christmas that you've had without a, a loved one at the table in your life that has been there and Christmas has passed. That's actually the same thing that's happening in my family this Christmas. But God is near. God has come near to us in Christ. He will be near to you. His presence will comfort you and will strengthen you you as we press into our relationship with him. Christmas has forever proved that God is awesome and he is accessible. Here, here's a second takeaway that I want us to see. Because the word became flesh that first Christmas, we can also see God's glory in our lives. Really, that starts with the fact that in Jesus, we can see God at all. Look at verse 18 with me. It says, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father. There, there's that idea of that relationship between the son and the father again. He has declared him. And when it says no one has seen God at any time, we know in the Old Testament there were people who had encounters with God, right? People who had theophanies and Christophanies, appearances of God manifested before them. And yet they did not see the fullness of the glory of God. You think about Moses, right? Moses was allowed to see God's glory as it passed by. God said, I can't show you the, the face of my glory, but I can show you the back of my glory. I can show you the reflection of my glory after it has already gone by. And so again, no one has seen the fullness of the glory of God except for God the Son and God the Spirit. And what we read here is that at Christmas time when Jesus came, the one who has seen the glory of God, the one who is himself the brightness of the image of the glory of God, 
has come to declare him to us. That, that word declare is a word that means to exegete. To exegete means to draw something out so that it's plain to see. That's actually what I seek to do every time I preach from the scriptures is I want to exegete the scriptures. I want to draw out of the scriptures what is really here so that we can understand it and understand what it means for our lives. This verse says that's what Jesus Christ is doing for us when it comes to God the Father. He is exegeting for us. He is declaring to us what God is like. Because he's the one who has seen the fullness of the brightness of the glory of God. And then we come to verse 14 and we understand not only can we see God when we know Christ, but we can experience the glory of God. Look at what it says again. Verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace And truth, you know, I mentioned Moses a moment ago, and Moses had asked God a question. He had said, God, show me, show us your what? Glory, right? Show us your glory. And God, again, allowed him to see the reflection of his glory after it had passed by. You know what's really the answer to Moses' question? When he asked God, show us your glory, the answer to Moses' question is the coming of Jesus Christ. God said, Moses, I am going to show you my glory, just not yet. You got to hold on for it. But we live on this side of the cross. And we know that glory has come. And think about how glorious he is. You know, when I think about the glory of God in the Old Testament, the glory of God at creation, the glory of God in Egypt and the 10 plagues, the glory of God at the Red Sea crossing, right? The glory of God, the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. You think about all the glorious manifestations of God in the Old Testament. But listen, church, the pinnacle of the revelation of the glory of God is Jesus Christ. And again, think about how glorious he is. What a glory that God would take on flesh and live among us. What, what a glory that God would speak to us face to face. What, what a glory that he would come and work miracles right in front of our eyes. What a glory that he would die for our sins on the cross. Church, what a glory that he would rise up from the dead on the third day. Here's the thing, though. We shouldn't read this passage and think, well, you know, now Jesus has ascended to the Father. So now, you know, the glory has come and gone. We can't experience it anymore. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. Now, the Bible says because Jesus has come, because the glory has come, now when we put our faith in Jesus and the Spirit of Christ comes to reside in our hearts, now it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that we are beholding in the face of Christ the glory of God. So every day as we walk with Christ, as we see Christ, as we read his word, as we encounter the church, we are seeing the glory of God on display. And it says as we do that, as we look at the glory of God in the face of Christ, we are being transformed from glory to glory to glory to be more and more like Jesus Christ in our own lives. Friend, if you want to live a boring life where all you see are the things that are around you, And press on without Christ. But if you want to see the glory of God, put your faith in him. Come to experience the presence of God, the glory of God in your life each and every day. Here's the last takeaway I want to share, and it's really the most important of all. 
because the word became flesh that first Christmas, we can be changed by the grace and the truth of Christ. In John 14, or verse 14, uh, John wrote that Jesus is full of grace and truth. And then in verses 16 and 17, he really builds on that. Look at those verses with me. It says, and of his fullness, we have all received and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That that phrase in verse 16, grace for grace, is really so beautiful, isn't it? It really means grace upon grace. I think about in the Old Testament, the manna that was on the ground. Every morning when those Israelites got up and they went outside their tent, what did they see on the ground every day? Grace. And that's how it is for us, church. We don't just receive God's grace one time or the day that we're saved. No, we receive sustaining grace, strengthening grace, sanctifying grace in our life. We receive grace every morning. Every morning you walk out your tent, there's grace there. God says his grace is sufficient for us every day. It's not just like we got a little bit of his grace either, is it? It's not like when you hold out a cup, you know, and you're looking for a couple drops of grace at the very bottom of the cup. That's not how it is. It's more like, you know, when you go to like Moe's and several of these restaurants, you have those those drink machines, right? And there's like a bajillion choices, right? You can push the vanilla and the orange and the swirl, right, with the... And sometimes you put your cup under there, you know, and, and I don't know if it ever happened to you where you're distracted by somebody, you know, like you put your cup and it's filling up, but you're like, you're talking to somebody and, and you don't notice that the cup is getting full and, until like there's soda all over your hand. That's how it is with us with the grace of God, right? There's, there's not just a little bit of grace. There's not a couple of drops of grace. There's overflowing grace. There's grace on your hand. There's grace on your arm. There's grace dripping down to the floor. There's more than enough grace. Grace upon grace. In verse 17, he talks about how the law came through Moses. He's not disparaging the law there at all. What he's saying is that the law was never intended to be the final gift that God would give to us. The law was intended to do what it did. And part of what it was intended to do is to show us that we couldn't keep it to show us that we needed a savior who could keep it and who has kept it. So the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And sometimes we think about those two words, grace and truth, almost like they're opposites. But they're not opposites. They're they're old friends. It's not like grace is a cushy pillow and truth is a knife. Jesus said the truth will make you what? Free. Truth is a liberating thing. Truth is what we need when we are living in a world that is full of deception. When our hearts are desperately wicked and easily deceived. What we need is the truth. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we come to know the truth. We come to know the light of life is how John puts it. And we need that truth. Obviously, we need the grace of Christ as well grace and mercy to forgive us for the fact that we've walked in the darkness. Grace and mercy to keep us walking in the light every day as we follow him. What what a freeing thing it is to know, though, that our, our standing before God this Christmas and always is not because of anything that we have done, but it's because of the grace and the truth that is found in Jesus Christ. Everything that we have 
is because of grace. Hear these words again. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Friend, let me ask you a a question, perhaps the most important question anyone will ask you this Christmas season. Have you found grace and truth in Jesus yet? Have you personally found grace and truth in Jesus yet? It is available to you. His grace, his truth, his forgiveness, his life, his eternal life is available to us. And in John chapter 1 and verse 12, it says so. We didn't read that verse earlier, but look at that verse with me right now. This is what we read. But as many as received him, meaning Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Church, I want to ask you to stand with me. And I want to invite you, as we sing and as we worship, if you need to receive that gift of Jesus into your life, that you would come right now. Share that with me. Share that with one of the other pastors that you see here in the front. Again, we've talked today about how that first Christmas God moved into our neighborhood. Maybe this Christmas God wants to move into your heart, into your life for the very first time. And you can come this Christmas season, receive him, experience his grace and his truth in a personal way. You come as we sing together.